This episode is brought to you by Audible, the leading provider of audiobooks. Book Riot listeners can download a free audiobook on us and get an extended free trial of the service by going to audiblepodcast.com slash bookriot. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and we're talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 51, and we're recording on May 1st, 2014. I'm Jeff O'Neill, and I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky. We're the editors of BookRiot.com. It's May Day. May Day. You're in summer, and I'm in spring, it sounds like. It's totally summer today, at least, in Richmond. Yeah. <laughs> Yesterday, it was April showers. Today, it's May humidity. Well, we got a May surprise. Uh, I think this news came out yesterday, uh, two days ago, mm-hmm. is a follow-up on, we've been following the, I mean, the saga, it has to be said now, of yes. the Harper Lee estate. <laughs> um, a couple of days ago, it was announced that uh, To Kill a Mockingbird will finally be going digital. Finally, uh, finally. So we talked about a while ago um, how many copies To Kill a Mockingbird sells in a year. I don't know if we mentioned then, though you and I both knew this because I wrote a post yeah, it's... last year about how many you know, well-known books are still aren't available digitally. Yeah, to Kill a Mockingbird a f- maybe being the principal among them. There's just a phenomenal number of classics that still aren't yeah. available digitally because of either you know, things like with Harper Lee where the titles are tied up with the author's estate because contracts when the book uh, was first published did not uh, foresee the existence of ebooks, And so there was no way to account for that in the, the publisher's deal with them or for any number uh, of other reasons. There's also just a lot of backlist to be uh, digitized, but Harper Lee has finally given her consent for it. Yep. So it still sells, according to the, this article, this is on ABC News. I mean, you know it's a bookstory when it's on abcnews.com. Right. Uh, still sells a million copies of year of To Kill a Holy Mockingbird. Um, so, and so I guess the other one, I don't know. I think we did the the gift show last time, which was a lot of fun. And thanks mm-hmm. for everyone for writing back um, and giving us good feedback. We had a lot of fun doing it. We'll do another one, I guess, around Christmas time. It's so sad to think it's going to be that long, but I guess we'll have more oh, books to pick from. Oh, but the time will fly. It will. It will fly. Uh, what was I talking? Oh, uh, we missed last week that the Hemingway backlist is going to be available in ebook mm. form for the first time this summer. So those are a couple of big... Um, yeah, the... Big the fish. T- the I To Kill a Mockingbird way. ebook editions will be available. Oh, and there's an audiobook edition coming also mm. uh, on July 8th. And I don't believe, oh, it's a digital audiobook. I was going to say, I don't believe this is the first time uh, To Kill a Mockingbird oh, right, has yeah. been an audiobook. There's a Sissy Spacek red version uh, of it that. that's really supposed to be phenomenal. But come July 8th, so if you have To Kill a Mockingbird as assigned summer reading or one of your kids does, <laughs> uh, they'll be able to read it digitally. And I think you were the one who pointed out on Twitter, since this is a Harper Collins title, it will likely be available in a bunch of the yeah. um, ebook subscription Scribd, services. Oyster. We'll do a sponsor read here for, for Oyster in a little bit. I don't I don't know honestly the policy about Oyster. I don't know if it's automatically included because it's mm-hmm. backlist. It could be that might be a big enough one that they want you, especially since it's going to be new on ebook, that they're not going to Harper Collins won't include right. it there. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, if we if we learn more, we'll find out. So that's uh, that's a little bit so, of follow up as yay well. Yay for Harper Lee! It's nice to have good news about Harper Lee. We've had some upsetting news about Harper uh, Lee for for a is while. Good news. Um, so speaking of audiobooks, let's do our first sponsor. Audible is back. Audible is the number one audiobook retailer with over one hundred and fifty thousand titles to choose from. Um, probably you can get that Sissy SpaceX. No, you said it was digital. You can't get it yet. But when there is a new digital audiobook, I guarantee you it'll be on Audible. (laughs) No question that it won't. Um, Free apps for iPhones, Androids, and Windows phones. You can download and listen on your iPhone, iPod, Android, Kindle Fire, Windows Phone, and other devices. Over 500 are supported. Um, Unlike other services, you own the file. That's your file. You get to own it. There you go. Um, one nice thing, too, that's, you know, that we talk about different features at a different time. We've had enough audible time, but WhisperSync lets you switch back and forth between your Kindle and audiobook with, with losing your place. So if you want to pick up something and read a few pages, um, the way that it works between Amazon and Audible is that you put on your headphones and open the Audible app on your phone and hit play. It will remember what page you were on. So you're right there, which is that's pretty so cool. cool. I haven't done a lot of this. Have you tried this I haven't before? tried this. Yeah, I tend to get locked into one format, but if you're the kind of person that, you know, 
uh, gets locked in and you like to do things like that or try it out. I mean, it's probably something I should try because with all these technologies, at first I'm like, ah, I'm not really an audiobook guy. And then I try it and I'm an addict. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. If there's any pattern <laughs> that you and I have collectively developed around new reading technology, even the stuff we're skeptical of at the yeah. beginning, we usually end up coming around. Um, the other thing we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago when they were uh, the sponsor last, uh, well, anyway, it doesn't matter, uh, that you can share an account with up to three people on smartphones. So you could get um, a significant other, brothers, sisters, friends, um, and share an Audible account so that if one person buys it, you can then download it on your phone. And that's totally legit. That's not a hack. That's not like stealing or not stealing. It's not like uh, surreptitiously borrowing someone's HBO Go password or something <laughs> like that. Um, that's how it's meant to do. So if you want to try it out, never tried an audiobook before. And you're if you're listening to this podcast in your headphones, which you probably are, um, and you or haven't you're in your car, or in your car, your and you haven't tried an audiobook, we really think you should try it. And you know, Audible's great. We love Audible, so that you, you can get a 30-day free trial membership that includes one free audiobook. So that's as easy a way as you're going to find to try it out. See if it's for you. Um, if the cars are really good time to do it. Um, it's going to be summer road tripping time pretty soon. Yep. Uh, it's a really great time to try a nice long audiobook. Uh, all right. So. Audiblepodcast.com. Uh, what did I say? I mess it up? Yeah, you, well, okay. you just didn't say it. Oh, audiblepodcast.com <laughs> slash book right. Get you the special deal. And let's do a couple of audiobook picks. This is one I haven't listened to yet, but I'm going to. Um, it's called Far From the Tree by Andrew Solomon. Oh, he's so great. And he wrote uh, The Noonday Demon, which mm-hmm. was about, it's called, I think it, if I remember right, it's called The Atlas of Depression, which is yes. a great subtitle, by the way. Um, and this is... This one came to my attention. I knew about him, and I didn't really hear about this book for some reason. It just won something, the the Wellcome Prize, uh, W-E-L-L-C-O-M-E, which is given to an outstanding book in medicine and health. Hmm. And this is, uh, the subtitle is Parents, Children, and the Search for Identity. So basically what he did is he he grew up in a, a pretty conservative family. He's gay. And you know, realize how difficult it must have been for his parents. He certainly knew how difficult it was for him. And it got him interested in, you know, the process and problems and stories about people raising, quote unquote, difficult children, people, kids that don't fit, you know, kind of, uh, they're not 50th percentile on the bell curve for whatever reason, for a lot of reasons. Um, And so it started getting into, you know, kind of that idea. Then he, so he basically selected, you know, a couple of different families and centered each chapter on a particular struggle and a, the, the challenges and stories of families with different kinds of kids. Um, it's big. It's a 40-hour audiobook, So it's a summertime read for me, which is going to, you know, there's a lot of walking and um, doing the dishes and going from here to there. But he's an amazing writer, and I probably would pick up almost anything he wrote. But with two young kids of my own, and being more and more interested in this, and my friends who have a lot of kids these days who are my age, um, I'm definitely going to pick this up. So that's Andrew Solomon, Far From the Tree. That's my pick. Do you have a that pick That sounds this week? awesome. I have just started I Don't Know What You Know Me From by Judy Greer. Uh, she played oh, Kitty. Yes. She, yeah, she's a well-known um, character actress, and she played Kitty on Arrested Development, which is my uh, favorite role of hers but you like she's one of those actresses that you recognize from everywhere and but you can sometimes never pin down where you know them from and she it's her memoir uh it's really so far i'm early in but it's very funny and fun and she reads it um funny people reading their own books on audio is just a super great thing and she's uh, no exception to that rule so i think that's that's fun going into summer i'm starting to lighten up my audiobook topics going into summer it feels Um, that way doesn't it yeah yeah for for road trips and for lying around in the sun and like maybe falling asleep and missing (laughs) some of it Uh, but i've just started that one and it's really great so far all right so that's audible podcast dot com slash book right get your free 30-day trial includes a free audiobook that tells them you heard about it from us and they will do other sponsors for the show which we yeah. like because we like audible we both use it and we also get to talk about audiobooks and if you've been using it and you have great audiobook yes. recommendations we always want to hear yeah those. maybe you even can... a summertime one oh um, yeah that would be fun because our our um dads and grads and uh mom's show we did some summertime picks but we didn't talk exclusively about it so if you've got a mm-hmm. good audiobook pick that would be great. You know, we got ourselves mixed up in the news this week. We did. We, we didn't really mean to do that. Well, for, that's for not the, true. Well, I think we did sort of mean to do it. For the last week or so, this is, uh, has been going on. 
And it's it's been something. <laughs> All right. So let's let, we're not going to spend too much time no. on this because you and I both have fatigue uh, about us. You you as as much as I, if not more mm-hmm. so. Um, so let's see. Let's start here. Okay. So BEA Book Expo America is the premier North American publishing trade event. That's fair to stay, right? Yeah, that's yeah. totally fair. It's it usually happens, the uh, last weekend of May. Right. It's here in New York City, and a bunch of book people come. You know, authors, editors buyers, booksellers, we cover it. We've been doing the last couple of years, book right people. When you and I were just regular old, awesome, um, daily rank and file bloggers, like, you know, the best book bloggers are, they love to go there for passion and meet people. And so we did that for, so this, will this be your fifth or sixth book BEA? This Do you is, remember? This is my fifth. It'll be, yeah. I think it'll be what, it's either three or four BEA since we first met each other. We first met in yeah, person. Yeah, right. Yeah. At, uh, BEA. So this is my fourth B. no, this will be my fifth BEA, I believe. Uh, anyway, it's a big event. And the last couple of years, um, Reed Expo, which is the company that runs BEA and a lot of other conventions around the world, it should be said, mm-hmm. um, has made the last day of the conference uh, open to regular consumer readers, not p- people that aren't part of the industry, but they love books and they want to come see what's going on, which is a fun idea. The originally it was called Power Reader Day. And that was more, you got a badge like everybody else, you can wander and there was a little specific programming for regular readers, but it was more just like you got a taste of the industry show. Well, and you the, could like watch all the publishers shutting their booths down. Yeah, right. <laughs> it, you know, it wasn't an awesome deal, but if you didn't have access otherwise, it was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Well, they decided, and I think smartly so, just from my perspective, to try to beef up that offering. Uh, and they renamed it BookCon to make it more you – know, kind of messaging that makes it feel more like Comic-Con or some of the other mm-hmm. – um, you know, industry fan shows. Yeah, those other big events that hardcore fans of a certain medium would know yeah. about. And they farmed it out to their subsidiary, Read Pop, which runs a couple, like the Chicago Comic Con, it runs some Star Wars conventions, things of that nature. Um, and you, have bought, you and I have been watching this with interest for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, one, we're plugged in and we're interested in what BEA is doing, and we have a love hate affair with BEA <laughs> and Javits. As, as most people do with right. giant Especially that walk from Penn Station uh, all the way over to the west side of Manhattan. But but also just like, what is it? Is this going to be fun? Or is this something we're going to like really want to tell our listeners and readers about because we think it's going to be great? So we've been following and hadn't heard a lot. Um, but this week, the, the, the precipitating event was there was an announcement that John Green was going to have, you know, headline a big panel about the, the Vault in Our Stars movie. And they're going to have some people, the producers there, and I think one or two of the stars, and of course, um, John Green himself. And that was, that got people poking around and see mm-hmm. who else was invited there. And you and I started poking around. And I, again, this is where it gets a little blurry for me. One of us or someone we follow on Twitter. Yeah, someone, it was someone in my Twitter stream. Um, I, w- I was commenting on how um, a couple of weeks ago, I don't think we talked about this on the show, but several weeks back, um, one of the very first BookCon panels was announced and it was about like the dazzling rock stars of kid literature. And the lineup for that was four authors that were all white men. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rick Riordan was one of them. Um, he wrote the Percy Jackson series and he spoke up publicly on Twitter and said he thought this was problematic, that there are uh, great women writers and people of color writing in Kidlet and that they should be recognized um, on a panel of this nature as well. Um, so at that point, BookCon uh, apologized and said that they would be you know, focusing to diversify not just that event, but the BookCon lineup. So this was a thing that so people... So there was kind of a, a pre-shock. Right. Yeah. People had their eyes on this for BookCon already. And after the John Green announcement, I um, said something on Twitter about you know another announcement about, yes, another you know powerful white man in publishing being featured at BookCon. And one of my followers um, tweeted back to me, well, have you looked at the whole BookCon lineup? And if I had known this was going to become what it became, I would have you know, starred that and saved that person's name yeah. and sent them a thank you note. So if you're listening to this, thank you for sending that yes, to me. Yes, thank you. And um, I saw you tweet about it mm-hmm. and we started looking at it. So there's 29 um, basically little boxes, you know, author boxes. And we started looking at it and it became clear that there was a problem, and the problem was that all, t- well, let's put it another way. None of the 29 authors were a person of color, right. all white folks. The um, Grumpy Cat's going to be there. And the 29th is Grumpy Cat, which is an internet meme turned book, if you don't know what that is. And if you don't, you're probably better off for it, but let's just say it's not a serious <laughs> sort of thing. So we got uh, pissed off about it, to be frank. And we as did. listeners of the show know diversity is something we care about. We pay attention to it. We've talked about the Vita stats before and 
um, people of color in children's literature and up up and down the line. This is something you and I and the site, I think, our writers up and down the board mm -hmm. all care yeah, about. Yeah, I think this is a core value of ours at yeah, Book Riot. Yeah, so and we made us think about it. I think that's we, fair to say. Uh, we did. Um, I, you and I discussed what our editorial position would be. Um, and then I wrote a piece last Wednesday and you wrote a piece on Thursday. And we've sort of had coverage of this in one way or another um, every day in some form yeah. since it happened. Um, but just asking how did we get here to a place where the event that's uh, opening the doors of the premier publishing event in North America to the public, to passionate readers, fails to uh, put anyone of color up on the panel, to be up on that giant platform to be recognized? How did we get here and what can we do to, you know, to move this event forward? So there's been a lot of vocal criticism um, in the comments that we've shared um, on bookriot.com. There have been a lot of people tweeting to the BookCon people and to Book Expo, uh, and you got a statement from I the did. senior VP of Read Pop, who's planning this event. And that statement appeared on Book Riot, and and the place that we've sort of come to is no one thinks that they did this on purpose. No one thinks that they sat down at Read Pop and said, like, <laughs> "Let's keep you know, all the brown people out." <laughs> right? What's the best panel of white people that that we could get? But it does look very much like um, like Read Pop's planning committee. And again, we don't know who you know who all that in comprises. Um, sat down and ask themselves, who are the authors that we could bring that would get readers excited and that will help us sell tickets? And uh, they have been vocal. Uh, Read Pop has been vocal in a statement to Publishers Weekly as well that they're not responding to controversy. They only care about what their ticket buyers want. Um, and it seems that the answers that they came up with to who are big names that will drive ticket sales all happened to be white people. Um, and that then it didn't occur to like no one there noticed that all of their answers were white people and that it would be important uh, to have some people of color that are featured as well, because there are plenty people of color doing excellent work uh, in and publishing. plenty of them reading, seriously. Right, you know. right. And, right. People of color read books too, uh, and you wouldn't know it from the lineup uh, of this panel. Uh, so Read Pop has said that they'll be rolling out you know, more announcements about who's going to be featured. Um, it's been eight days since this yeah. dust-up initially and, and happened. And the event is a month away. It's, right. it's May 31st. Uh, and we haven't seen any new announcements yeah, yet. Um, I hope that they're figuring it out. Um, but they have just continued to say over and over that they are committed to diversity. And uh, our response over and over then has been, well, then if you if you really are committed to diversity, you don't um, announce a major event like this until you have a lineup that reflects that value. Mm -hmm. So um, we hope to see it improve for this year. And uh, I really hope that next year they'll do it right from the beginning, because uh, this has so much potential to be an awesome thing for readers uh, to come in and meet authors and get books signed and like have access to a bunch of great writers all in one place and to get a little bit of a look at the industry. And it would be wonderful to see it be that awesome. Yeah. And, uh, and there's, go ahead. I was going to say like, We've been writing about it a lot. We can put some of the links to what we've written about it in the show notes. Um, I don't think you and I, either you and I want to go through the whole, like, why it's important. And I mean, if you don't no. think it's important, then I don't think we're going to talk you out of that tree, man. I just, I, I just right. am not, I'm just so not interested in someone saying, well, you know, we've seen the comments on Book Riot and on Twitter and other places. Like, well, you know, there's special events for you know, African-American writers and or, the, or you know, white is a color too, or like they're just doing what the market bears or shut up, you mm -hmm. know, like, you know, I, I just have no time to try to defend this. So it's important to us. Um, we'll probably continue talking about it, though. I think we'll probably quiet down about Book Count for a little bit because there's really no news. We've said to this degree what we have to say. I, I will say this, though. Um, if you care about diversity, you don't do this. Um, right. I think they care that people care about diversity, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Like, here's and, the, that, well, and they only care that people care about diversity now that people are yeah. mad at them. Here's the example I would give. So, you know, there's this cliche of like heterosexual domestic partnerships, the, the leaving the toilet seat up, right? Mm -hmm. And the only reason I put the toilet seat down is because uh, Michelle, you know, it's, it's, kind of, it's, it's polite for the other person. Um, you know, especially if she's a woman, to leave the toilet seat down and wipe it off. I don't care about the toilet seat being down for me, but I do care about doing it for her. Does that mean I care about putting the toilet seat down? It actually doesn't. Right. It means I care about what Michelle thinks. So I think this is kind of a toilet seat toilet seat ethics here, where they don't actually they don't <laughs> they don't actually care about the toilet seat. They care 
that someone cares. And that might seem like, I don't know, that might seem like parsing it too closely, but I think you, that's the only way you can understand how it happened, mm-hmm. that they got tw- they got 29 names and none of them were people of color because they didn't actually fundamentally care for themselves. They they might, because in the statement, um, I asked uh, Lance Fensterman, who, who was great and gave a statement quickly and let me put it on the site, full text, and I didn't edit it. I did ask to do a couple of follow-up questions. He said, you know, let's just let's just let this statement be and let the what happens next um, speak for it. And I understand that. But one of the questions I was going to ask is, why do you care about diversity? Because that answer, I think, would have told me a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's it would have been hard for them to answer, frankly, based on yeah. what I've seen. I think so, too. I think this comes down to BookCon now has to care about diversity because people who would otherwise be buying tickets are telling them that they have to care about diversity. And people are asking for refunds because they care about diversity. Um, But if it were a core value for BookCon before this, we would we would see evidence of it already. And Mm -hmm. now when there are people of color who are announced on this lineup, as I hope ReadPop is doing, um, we're going to know that that's there in response to criticism, not because... It was a. It was important to BookCon from the start, and that's I suppose really there's a single-digit probability that there would be an announcement um, about a, a person of color, an author of color, being on a panel if this hadn't happened. But you just can't believe that in good faith now, right? And, they, and they're in a tough spot. And I did the, one of the the thing I wrote was trying to write a response. If I were Read Pop, what would I have said? And one of the things I said is. There's no way at this point. There's no way not for it to feel like tokenism. Mm-hmm. That you just can't do it. But better, better tokenism with the moral gun to your head than no tokenism <laughs> at all. And then maybe next year, if they're still doing it, if they decide to do this, we won't have to have this discussion. Now, does that mean they really genuinely care about the toilet seat anymore? I don't know. I don't know if it matters. Um, but at this point, I would just I just want them to do the right thing. Yeah. And it would be best if they were doing the right thing for the right reasons. But I just want to see them do the right thing. Yep. That's period. Right. I think that's uh, enough from us on this. Yeah, or do just, you have anything else? I, just, I don't I want to cut a, you off. A, a note, like a, there's been a cool campaign that uh, was in the works before all of this. But well, that fortuitous I believe was, timing on this, actually. Yeah, right. This was good timing on the part of uh, the organizers, uh, or lucky timing for them, I guess. Uh, a group of authors, Ellen O, Melinda Lowe, Cindy Pond, the folks at Lee and Lowe Books, and Megan O'Sullivan of Braun, Bro- Braun Books, uh, launched a campaign on Twitter called We Need Diverse Books. And that's the hashtag, We Need Diverse Books that's running uh, May 1st, 2nd, and 3rd officially. Uh, but people have been tweeting about it for several days, and I'm sure that by the, sh- the time the show lands, it will still be going on. But it's dedicated to um, asking people on Twitter to use that hashtag um, and explain reasons why diverse books matter to them. And there have been cool pictures of kids holding up signs uh, that explain their reasons why diverse books matter. But uh, this is a really cool way to be, and it's an easy way to be involved Um you know, by raising your voice to tell not just BookCon, um, it's not just about BookCon, it's about a, a lack of representation of people of color uh, all over publishing. Mm-hmm. And um, this is particularly focused on kids' books, um, but a really great campaign from a bunch of really smart, passionate people um, who are harnessing the power of the internet to do some good. So you can check out the We Need Diverse Books hashtag as well. All right. So that's the BookCon brouhaha. Uh, let's do let's do a little newsy stuff. Comicsology. Did we talk about this on the show, or did that happen in the interregnum between shows? Amazon <laughs> buying. Anyway, oh, I think we talked about. Maybe, it. Amazon bought Comicsology. Yeah, I think we did. I think we did. Um, Comicsology, which uh, both you and I use to read comics, which we both really like, mm-hmm. um, bought Comicsology and. When we when it first broke, there was a lot of question about whether or not Amazon was going to change much about how Comixology worked. Um, maybe they would keep it the way it was, kind of like they've done with Goodreads, which is largely leave it alone. They've done some integration with Kindle and on Amazon, but it hasn't changed the core experience of using Goodreads and Zappos and IMDb and some other places that Amazon owns, you know, including Audible, for example. Um, you know, they kind of let it go. Uh, but it doesn't appear they're going to do that with Comixology. <laughs> this week, Comixology removed the in-app purchase option from iOS devices, so iPhones and iPads, which both mm-hmm. you and I use, which 
doesn't seem like a big deal, except that it's a huge pain in the rear end. <laughs> right. Yeah. The, I think when we first talked about it, you talked about how you went on like a binge buy yeah, right. of, of comics, which now if you want to do that, you'll have to put your device down and log on to your Comixology account on a regular computer. Or using the mobile browser on your right. phone or, or tablet, which is not yeah. awesome, by the Make way. Make the purchases and then go back into the Comixology app. It makes sense from Amazon's perspective, though, to stop giving 30% yep. of the purchase price over to their competitor, Apple. I think it may not be about that 30%. My sense is that they want to make having a Kindle Fire HDX um, more attractive than buying an iPad. And this mm. is just one way of making the iPad slightly less desirable, especially for hardcore comics nerds. Because if you can have a Kindle Fire HDX, you know, nice 8.9-inch screen and a nice retina display where you have a really integrated Comixology app and you're trying to make a decision between an iPad and, and a Kindle Fire, that might make the decision. Like, honestly, for me, you know, I don't know. I, it, you know, it'd come down to it. But Amazon and Apple and Google um, and, uh, you know, uh, Dropbox and a lot of these huge companies are fighting a galactic war that us, you know, sort of land lovers are just subject to. You know, I think this is really about device platform and it gives Amazon a chance to have a real material advantage over the iPad because the iPad one of the things I like about it is that it has the best sort of platform agnostic um, mm -hmm. experience you know I can read from Kobo I can do audible I can do um, I can do Kindle I can do iTunes I can do Barnes and Noble all all right there um, but this one really makes it like if you're a comics if you're a comics buyer and a lot of people are because Comicsology was the top grossing non-game app in the iTunes store last year. So there's a lot of people buying a lot of money, uh, putting a lot of money into their ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there's been a lot of talk about how Comicsology and digital comics have opened up the comics reading community. Yeah. I'm surprised. I don't. We never saw a price, which I'd be fascinated to know. I know nothing about their earnings except they're doing extremely well. But it seems to me one of those things that if there wasn't a bidding war, Apple should have bid on it, and so should mm -hmm. have Marvel. Because this leads yeah. into our next story: is that right. Marvel has also, in addition to being on Comicsology, they have their own white label version of the Comicsology app that you can buy just Marvel titles from. Um, and this story we saw in Melville House which is the great um, um, Amazon watchdog, I guess, is a way of saying it. <laughs> they really are. It's a, they're a, and they walk the line very well. Like As a brief aside, you know, Melville House publishes excellent books, and they bring back out-of-print books from the backlist yep. and make those available. Um, but they, you know, their books sell through Amazon, but they're one of the only, if not the only, like, you know, relatively big publishers that's also uh, vocally critical of Amazon when they believe it's deserved. Yeah. So Marvel has a contract with their white-labeled Comixology app through 2015. Um, some suggestion here that once that is up, they're going to re rethink themselves. You know, this is one of those situations where Marvel and DC combined are much more powerful in the comics industry than any two publishers in the regular books industry. So in theory, if DC and Marvel could get their heads together, which is, you know, cats and dogs living together <laughs> to some degree... You know, they could make a real play. They could pull all of their titles from Comixology, um, create their own uh, imprint agnostic mm -hmm. app, make it available on all platforms. You know, so I don't know. There's a real chance. I think if Marvel wanted to, they could gut Comixology. But I don't know if they want to. I don't know if they want to go there. I don't think they have kind of foresight. Marvel's owned by Disney, which has... You know, large, they have deals with Amazon. Like, there's just so many entanglements. Yeah, it's hard to and, know. Right, and do you want to go up against Amazon? It wouldn't be just going up against this the, the Comixology app yeah. as a competitor. But do you want to go up against Amazon? Does, is Disney willing to fight that battle on Marvel's behalf? Right. And, and risk what? Like, the buy buttons disappearing from every Disney product that's currently available? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'd kind of like to see it myself, frankly. I mean, I'd be more interested be, in that in the Avengers, too. It would be fun to watch. The The first piece we were talking about that notes that uh, the Comixology app is changed and that the in-app purchases are gone now um, does note that there is a silver lining here, and that's that the comics creators will be getting more payout because... Uh, Comixology will not be paying that 30% over yep. to Apple. So mm -hmm. that's nice uh, that the artists and writers will be making more. This one's going to be interesting to watch. I don't think that we've seen an acquisition quite like this happen in mm -hmm. publishing. Yeah, you know, and it's 
uh, comics is not our area of expertise. I mean, not that we're publishing industry experts, but we just follow it more closely. So I don't know all the dynamics here. But this is Apple, Disney, well, and also Time Warner, which owns DC Comics, uh, Amazon, all have uh, thumbs in this particular pie. Um, unfortunately, when these sorts of titans get together and get it in fights, usually the consumer is the is the one that gets hurt. That's why we're getting it. That, I mean, it's not mm-hmm. a huge deal. Look, look, this is not a hard problem. But one of the great things about Comixology, one of the great things about getting back into comics on a tablet was how easy it was right there um, to do it as well. So that's Comixology, um, and that's we're going to follow that. Who knows? I don't know what other shoe to drop. That's kind of the big shoe. I don't know if... Apple's not going to pull it from the App Store. I mean, I don't, I don't see anything like that happening. But, all right, let's go. Let's do a little more news. This was one I didn't see coming. You want to talk about this F. Scott Fitzgerald thing? Yeah, so it, this just came out this morning. Today, yeah. Uh, but, and it's a story from The Guardian that uh, the stories in Fitzgerald's fourth collection, Taps at Revi, were written... Uh, for publication in the Saturday Evening Post in the late 20s and early 30s. Uh, and they were apparently censored and for drug references uh, and sexual innuendo and apparently also for anti-Semitic slurs. Uh, the editors of the Saturday Evening Post uh, you know, made some editorial choices, as editors do sometimes. And so those stories are going to be made available uncensored for the first time. Mm. I I mean, I didn't even no. know that there that they should have censored thought in about, the I should have thought place. about like, this because the Saturday Evening Post is, was a a tame outlet. Um, he had a long-standing relationship with Saturday Evening Post. He got paid extremely handsomely. I once did the the inflationary math. I think he got something like five thousand dollars per story, which in nineteen twenty nine is the oh equivalent boy. of like seventy eight thousand dollars per short story. There are probably not very many short story writers getting paid five thousand dollars per no, short story today. No. So I mean, it was a it was an important relationship with him. Um, this is really going to be interesting to it see. It is going to be interesting. I'm. I'm scrolling through the piece. I don't think there's a date yet no. for when this will be available. But if you're a, a Fitzgerald fan, it's certainly good news. It got me thinking about what other big American writers might have been mm-hmm. featured in the Saturday Evening Post and other publications like that and, and edited. I, this is just a thing I had never thought of before. And like you said, it should have occurred, but it didn't yeah. uh, to us that someone who wrote about the kinds of things that Fitzgerald wrote about might have been edited to be more family friendly and a little you know, softer. I mean, maybe in the early days of the New Yorker, the though, even today, New Yorker short, the, 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 the short stories published in the New York, published in the New Yorker, they, you wouldn't call them like, I don't know. It's not like it's, um, there's not a lot of challenging stuff. Yeah. Happening right. In those, right. Yeah. I mean, so, and I don't know if that means things are edited. I think it might just happen in the selection process. Um, you know, maybe GQ or Esquire have long had fiction pieces mm-hmm. in them. So, I, or Vanity Fair. Uh, but this is one I just didn't know about. And this is something I should have. Well, I guess it sounds like really no one knew this except for some people looking at the original manuscripts that he wrote and comparing them with what were actually published. So, it's like, wait a minute, mm-hmm. this is censored. Or censored the right word? It's edited for content. That's not the same as censorship, I should. Right? Right. I, I think edited for content is. Yeah. more accurate the headline says uncensored well that's click that's click that's that's, <laughs> guess, fu- that's you know, fun I mean, that's fun. editing and censorship like there's a there's a line there at least they didn't say like original language was banned right yeah uh, and i just looked it up it looks like this is the um cambridge edition the official it's a, the cambridge edition of the works of f scott fitzgerald is the series it's cambridge university press mm. and this new edition of taps at revi is available in the u.s on may 31st of this year it is from an interesting period in fitzgerald's life he died in 1940. And he was, if I remember right, didn't publish much after about 1934. So these were among his last Mm. published works where he was really um, uh, unspooling. So I'm not surprised that it's a little, there's a little more uh, tough stuff in those than, and then maybe appeared at at first. So I I hope that someone will do a cool side by side. Definitely. The Saturday evening post versions and the unedited versions. Um, All right. So I skipped, I skipped the second kind of the second lead story. I, mm-hmm. I just scrolled right past it. Um, I thought this was really interesting as well. We've talked about polls. Well, we've done our own poll of our readers for what their favorite books are. Mm-hmm. Um, Harris this week released their, um, I guess every f- six years, the last one they did was 2008. They pulled 
2,717 Americans uh, and asked them what their favorite books were. Unprompted, sorry, 2,234 U.S. adults surveyed online. So, you know, we've got, we should put that into our methodology corner maybe when we get to it between March 12th and March 17th of this year. And they, they published the top 10. Um, number one is the Bible, same as 2008. No surprise there. Anyone who would think about it for a minute would, would have bet their $50 that that would come out on top. Number two is just a complete, complete shock is incorrect. <laughs> I, I would say a mild shock to me <laughs> that it was, it's the second most favorite book of Americans, and it's Gone with the Wind by Margaret Mitchell, which we've talked about on the show before, the enduring popularity of that book. There's been spinoffs and secondary offerings. I can't, I, I can't believe this is the second most famous. I'm like gobsmacked that To Kill a Mockingbird is not the first answer. Just well, the bio. Like, I mean, the bio. I mean, come on. I know. I guess, but there, that, that's... That's almost I think not even number one to I me. I want to say that, it's interesting to me that the Bible comes in number one, because even just in our own polls that we've conducted, there are always folks who answer, you know, or who comment that the Bible is their favorite book. And then it, there are always other people who respond who it seems probably come from a similar set of religious beliefs as those people yeah. who object to someone listing the Bible as their favorite book. Well, because it also yeah, is, that's right. If if that's a core piece of your religious tenets, then it's also more than that. Um, so I I was surprised there. And To Kill a Mockingbird just seems the obvious. It came in at number five. Answer. That's up from number seven in two thousand eight. Climbing right. the charts, interestingly. Yeah, that is Harry Potter series number three, up from number okay. four. Um, boy, you know, you would think at this point I wouldn't be surprised how much people love that book, but I, every time I see it, I'm like, God, people. It's number three. Like, it's mm -hmm. above To Kill a Mockingbird. It's above to The Lord of the Rings at four. It's above Catcher in the Rye. It's above, I mean, it's just, it's, it's hard. It's something in our lifetime. That's the thing, I guess. I, I have recency bias against it. Mm -hmm. Like, because it was when published seven years ago, the last one, it can't be the, the most It's the only popular. thing on this list, on this top 10 list, that's published in our lifetimes. Um, the Lord of the Rings right. is maybe the next newest one. Yeah, Catcher in the Rye was after, Catcher Lord, the Rye. Of the, after Lord of the Rings. Um, so the top 10, let's Bible, Gone with the Wind, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, To Kill a Mockingbird. Moby Dick is at number six now. It was unranked. Oh, people lie. I'm calling it. <laughs> well, they, but now they lie more now than they did in 2008. That's what I don't understand. <laughs> but doesn't it feel like Moby Dick's had a moment, like over the last couple of years, there's been readathons and I see a lot of people talking about it. Anyway, that's a separate issue. I know, but if Moby Dick is having a moment, it's having like a moment among book nerds, not like among. Well, what do you, what do you want? What do you want? <laughs> I'm telling you what this thing says. I don't know. I just don't believe it. You don't it. believe it. This is like, you're like the, you're like the response is, I don't believe they read 1,500 <laughs> books. It can't possibly be true. I know. I've just turned into our worst commenter. Don't, don't do not do that. Don't do that. Come on. <laughs> anyway, uh, number seven is Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger. That's up from 10. So this is, I thought this was interesting. I feel like I've been hearing a lot of slagging on Catcher in the Rye over the last three or four years, mm -hmm. but actually going the opposite way. It's actually up from number 10. Yeah, maybe people are feeling like they can't publicly admit that they yeah, love maybe. the book, but they're happy to, to But I'm going to use this anonymous, anonymous poll to get back at all those people. Uh, Little Women at number eight, previously mm -hmm. unranked. Grapes of Wrath, number nine, previously unranked. And The Great Gatsby, number 10, previously unranked. I wonder if the mm -hmm. movie had anything to do with Gatsby. Probably. I mean, Gatsby... I don't remember the figure, but there were huge book sales yeah, of The huge. Great Gatsby in that time between when the movie was announced and when it came out. And then that was extended because it was first supposed to come out in at Christmas time. And then it ended coming out, ended up coming out like six months later in the summer. They had to delay the release of it. So it even had a an extended period of time for people who wanted to read the book or reread it before the movie came out. I bet that had something to do yeah. with it. But a lot of people do. Love that book. What about like Little Women hasn't, I mean, there hasn't, I mean, I don't know why that's gone to eight. No, uh, from I'm kind 10. of surprised maybe Anne of Green Gables isn't here. A lot of mm. people love Anne of Green yeah. Gables. The, 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 the titles that dropped off the list, I think, are also interesting. The Stand mm -hmm. was number five, dropped off. Da oh, Vinci wow. Code was number six, dropped off. Angels okay. and Demons was number eight and dropped off. And Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand uh, dropped off, and it was number nine. So those, I mean... The Divigy Code, I mean, that was definitely like a that flash was definitely in the pan. A cultural moment. Yeah. And everyone who said that will end at some point were right. They get to collect all their chips. Please see the concierge. Um, <laughs> the stand, I feel like Stephen King's profile has actually gone up to some degree. So I'm a little surprised there. I guess, 
I don't know. I mean, I guess I, I guess the, a reemergence of some classics yeah. um, over recent. Atlas Shrugged is more recent than a lot of these things as well. Right, and the the first headline that I saw about this study was that Atlas Shrugged was no longer like the headline of the whole piece was like <laughs> Atlas Shrugged no longer among that just want, Americans. They just want libertarians to share and get pissed books. off. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's interesting. A more timeless list than it was the last time they did this. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, all right. Then there's a whole bunch. Of, they they broke it down by demographic as well because I guess they got some information from the respondents. We, we don't need to go through all of this. Oh my gosh, Jeff, are we millennials now? I, that's what. I did just, you see me tweeting about that earlier today? I, well, I saw your tweet about am I a millennial, but I didn't know the context. Yeah, of it. That, it was a completely out of context. So it. it it classifies millennials as 18 to 36. Oh, boy. And I'm hanging on to millennial with uh, both I hands. I guess they just kicked out Generation Y completely. I don't know. Generation Y kind of got absorbed into millennials and, and late Gen Xers, I guess. Man. I like matures. That's the after <laughs> Older than baby boomers is matures. Matures. So Gone with the Wind was most popular amongst baby boomers and matures. So, uh, <laughs> and then just... the most popular among Harry Potter... Most popular among millennials, Harry Potter. Most popular among Gen X, Lord of the Rings. Which suggests, doesn't that suggest something about the bias? Or like, do we have an, does that mean we didn't have an even distribution of ages of the respondents? Is that what that thing is saying? I don't know. I'm not sure. Hmm, I don't know. Anyway, I don't know what to say. Uh, yeah, that's... It's weird. There's something going on there I can't quite figure out. Uh, white people, gone with the wind. <laughs> That's just so terrible. <laughs> uh, African Americans, their favorite book, Moby Dick. I find that so interesting. Um, and Hispanic people, The Great Gatsby. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I don't know why I find that so interesting. I don't know what I would have picked. Uh, anyway, after the Bible. And, this is after the Bible, I should say. They took the Bible right. off the list because I think it would have dominated all of these categories. Right. Um, Republicans, Democrats, Independents, after the Bible, gone with the wind. Every yeah. single... One. Right. Conservatives, moderates, liberals, conservatives and moderates liked Gone with the Wind the best. Liberals went for Harry Potter. So liberals who don't identify as Democrats like Harry Potter, but liberals who do identify as Democrats like Gone with the Wind. I don't, that's so weird. I want some Venn diagrams here. Yeah, that's very interesting. And then there are interesting regional, like in the East, it's uh, East Coast, Lord of the Rings, the Midwest and the South has Gone with the Wind, and then the West is Harry Potter. Harry Potter. And there's broken out by education This one level I think is the most interesting one to as me. As well. And only because it's like high school or less, that's how much education you have, Gone with the Wind. Some college, Gone with the Wind. College graduate, Gone with the Wind. But if you have some graduate school, it's Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? I don't it know what be, to make of that, but that is so weird. I think it's hard to make anything of these other yeah, than that right. it's interesting without knowing a lot of other stuff yeah. about who these people were, like how how many of the participants were black, how many were white, how many were right. Hispanic, how many of the participants are millennials versus Gen Xers versus baby boomers versus matures. Like my, my gut would say that if you're conducting a poll online just by the sample of who the active users of internet services are who are likely to take your survey, mm-hmm. you're probably looking at bigger samples from millennials and generation Xers from people between 18 and 48 than you are from baby boomers and matures, people 49 and Also, older. did you notice what the question was? And I don't know if it's a typo uh, under table one favorite book. Did you see the phrasing of the question? Oh, who is your favorite book what of all the, time? Who is your favorite book of all What is that? <laughs> let's, let's hope that's just a typo. I also was wondering, too, and I don't know if this would affect the Bible or some of these other things. What if you took of all time out of the question? Do you think that would affect mm. the results at all? I mean, because of all time almost makes you, like, like search your memory. I was like, oh, of all time. Let me think old books. Right. Whereas if you were just like, what's your favorite book? I don't know. It just occurred to me is, because of all time and there is in terms of content, well, unnecessary. Also, there's like some some brain bias stuff probably at work here, like um, priming and recency yeah. effects, which since I'm still coming hot off of having read Thinking Fast and Slow, right. uh, <laughs> I'm thinking about, but it, it makes sense that when you're unprompted and you don't know what the question is going to be, your brain starts searching for like either what it has the most information about or what it thought about most recently mm-hmm. or what you saw something about in the news, like some priming that makes 
some titles more available to you than other titles. And maybe it's harder to think of a book that you really, really loved 15 years ago, um, but you read Gone with the Wind when you were a kid and you loved it. You've been thinking about how you've loved it forever and it's been in the news recently. Uh, I I think there are just lots of other factors that... uh, that could be affecting these answers and how they're clustered around mm-hmm. uh, these titles that we talk about a lot in culture. It's totally possible that these are the books that people love the most, but without, I mean, without knowing anything else about the distribution between age groups and racial groups well, it does and say that, genders. Um, figures for age, sex, race, ethnicity, education, region, and household income were weighted where necessary to bring them into line with their actual proportion in the population. So okay. that can that brings a little more accuracy, but it can lose some precision in yeah. doing that because if let's say um, they didn't get they actually didn't have enough say uh, Hispanic respondents, and they had to weight the responses of the Hispanic respondents they did have. Mm-hmm. One individual's response then becomes even more disproportionately right. influential. So, you know, without seeing the data, it's hard to make some sense over that. Also, age eighteen and over, which I thought was interesting. I don't know, mm-hmm. you know, kids would have probably changed something. I don't know what exactly, but something would have been different. Anyway, you and I find those things fascinating, but also non-prescript. I mean, like, how would you answer the question? Who is your favorite? I would say <laughs> um, books aren't people. Is that, no, that's not, that's uh, no fun, Jeff. Of all time. Well, I would do weird things like, is the Iliad a book? I mean, this is, I would, I would still be answering it. That's the question. That's the answer. I'd still be. <laughs> You've been sitting at your computer yeah. since May 12th. Actually, they asked me this, this the first online. time in 2008 and I have a huge notebook and I need to get back to them. <laughs> um, favorite book of all time. Hmm. Well, favorite hard. is also different. Like the best book you've read is different than favorite for me. If that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Uh, gun to my right. head. East of Eden. The Iliad, Invisible Man, in some order. No, Mm. that's not right. What am I talking about? (laughs) That's completely bollocks. Invisible Man. Mm, I don't know. Invisible Man's up. I mean, that's the only one I know for Mm -hmm. sure. Because, like, Iliad's not a book. It's a poem. You know, whatever. Don't, why are you making, why you, you do this? This is unfair. <laughs> I, well, I, I'm torturing you while I'm thinking yeah, about Yeah, that's mine. a classic um, trick. Paradise by Toni Morrison, okay. The Sparrow by Mary Doria Russell, and Fahrenheit 451. Fahrenheit 451. That's not bad. That's a good list. Um, anyway. <laughs> and it'll be different tomorrow. Yeah. Let's do a couple I cool things. Get angsty. There, there, there have been some cool things. Did you things see this had... link? I, I stealth added it. I wouldn't even talk about it before the show. Yes. My librarian. Yeah, the I did Multnomah see County Library, that's up there in Oregon, mm-hmm. um, has this service called My Librarian. And I'm going to just read the description. Uh, we're, here, we're, here, we're here to help you find your next great read, share your unique reading taste with the librarian of your choice, and get expert book recommendations the way you want them from another human being who loves reading as much as you do. Bravo, Multnomah County. So you can tell them what you like, books you don't like. Um, and they can give you some personalized recommendation. They have profiles of their librarians up, so you can see their pictures, and they, they tell them a little bit about themselves, so you can sort of handpick. Yeah, um, this is so cool. Though I have to say, you know what I'm going to say about these librarians, don't you? Tell me, Jeff. Think BookCon. They're all white. All white. So, um, there's but that. But it is a librarian's job to know about all that books have it to is, offer. It is. It is. All I'm saying is, if uh, you're one, if you're one of the many fine non-white people of Oregon, yes, uh, that's one. It's it's just a part. The whole diversity thing all across books. You know, I, yes. I don't want to pick a fight. I'm just saying, if we're going to do it to BookCon, which we have an ambivalent relationship with, we should do it to this thing we think is really cool. That's true. So, we should. Anyway, there's that. So I think this is great. You can hit a button that says "Ask Lisa or Matthew or Karen." I think I might or try Dar- this. Okay, oh, yeah, I, that's that's really cool. You know what? Maybe we'll try this. And if you are out there listening and you try it, let us know how it goes. Mm-hmm. Let us know how it goes. This is really cool. It's one of the things that's nice about this is that this is one thing that you know booksellers often do, um, but they also are more time constraints because they got the work to register. They often don't have the technology, whereas a lot of the libraries have technology in place where they can do things like this. Right. Um, 
So this is, they don't have to worry about it being a profit center. You know, this is not something mm -hmm. you're going to see Amazon do because they can't do it for 10 million people. Probably if we all flooded Multnomah County with um, our requests from all across the internet, it wouldn't be sustainable either. But in the long run, it's just going to be, you know, local residents using this. And I hope mm -hmm. you do. And I hope if you're an Oregon Ooh. resident or know someone who lives around here, you certainly tell them about it. Yes. Yeah. One of these librarians, Rachel S., uh, one of her favorite authors is Mary Doria Russell. Oh. So I think that I will there send you go. her my yeah. request and try it out. Mm -hmm. uh, this other cool thing of the week I just think is so super fun. Uh, Coldplay, the band, has announced, they announced it earlier this week on April 28th, that they're going to hide handwritten lyric sheets from their new album, Ghost Stories, in nine libraries across the world and create a scavenger hunt for their fans. So cool. Isn't that great? That's great. There's a hashtag for it. It's lyrics hunt. Uh, if you, so if you're in to Coldplay, you can find out more about it at uh, Coldplay's website and figure out what these libraries are and go on a scavenger hunt. Or maybe you can like use the internet to team up with somebody who lives closer to one of the libraries that you live farther from uh, and put the lyrics together. And there's going to be one of them is going to have a golden ticket that will give the finder You get of to it marry uh, Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> If you put them and then you can consciously uncouple <laughs> from her. Um, yeah, the finder of the golden ticket gets a free trip to London to see Coldplay play on July 1st. And like, I haven't really thought of Coldplay in a long time. They haven't been other than the Gwyneth Paltrow, Chris Martin divorce news. There hasn't really been much about them lately. No, just, uh, I, I mean, I guess the only time I encounter Coldplay is when they're trying to euthanize me in Starbucks with um, <laughs> their music. But oh, I kid, cool. but this is awesome. Yeah, I, plus I, I five would, cool points to Coldplay. Right, how great would it be to see like an author do something like mm. that as well, team up with libraries or cool bookstores to hide bits and pieces of stuff related to their book and then do some sort of cool reward for it. I just thought that was so that is creative. Very, that is very cool. Um, and fun. So we'll drop a link into the show notes there if you want to get details and get your squad of international library sleuths together. <laughs> um, all right, let's do, let's do our, our second sponsor. All right. Our second sponsor this week is Squarespace. They are back, uh, and we're glad to have them back. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or portfolio. Uh, and we have a special offer for you. You can go to squarespace.com and use the special offer poetry uh, to get a free trial and 10% off. Uh, we love Squarespace because we we know that today, you know, it's important for anyone who has a web presence to have a web presence that looks good uh, and that looks professional. So if you've been thinking about starting a blog or a website for your business or a small store for something that you create, uh, Squarespace has beautiful, customizable templates, 20 of them to choose from. Um, they're easy to toggle and to play with and to add your own images uh, to format the text. You don't have to know a lot about web design. You don't really have to know anything <laughs> about web design. You just have to be willing to plug and play uh, with the Squarespace templates available. They've won numerous design awards uh, and they have an award-winning support team as well that they call, I think, the care, they call their support uh, office, the Care Bear Lair. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, they're available 24-7. So if you if you get stuck on something and you need help, there are 70 Squarespace employees just on their customer care team. You can call a Squarespace Care Bear and they will help you figure out how to do the thing that you're trying to do to make your website look gorgeous. It starts at $8 a month and that includes a free domain name if you sign up. Uh, so it's not a free service like some web hosting services are, but that 8 bucks a month premium is definitely worth it for the quality you're going to get in the look and feel of your website, but also in the tech support that's available to you. Every design includes a unique mobile experience as well. So you don't have to worry about your fans or your customers being annoyed looking at your site on their phone or their tablet and it not looking right. right. Uh, we've all experienced that. It's totally frustrating <laughs> when you're looking something up on your phone that was only built for the web and everything's tiny and you can't click on the right thing. None of that is a problem with Squarespace. It, uh, it's optimized for mobile automatically. So uh, if, if that's a thing you're thinking of, you can start your free trial. You don't have to put a credit card in to start that. building Love it. 
your website. I love that too. So, you know, spend a month, see how it goes. Squarespace.com and the offer code is poetry and you'll get 10% off. Um, and that will also let Squarespace know that uh, you came to them through Book Riot. Hopefully they'll keep sponsoring the show. And if you've built a blog or a website or a store on Squarespace, um, we would love to know about it. So shoot us an email podcast at bookriot.com. Uh, we'll take a look and maybe we'll give you some love yeah, on a future episode. Yeah, we've done episode. that before. It's been a lot of fun to see what people um, do with yeah, Squarespace. Yeah, book blogs and like used bookstores yep. and all kinds of cool things. All kinds of cool stuff. Really be great for an author site, I think, mm-hmm. too. Uh, very simple. They have built-in e-commerce. So if you're trying to sell digital goods or physical goods in an easy and simple way, you can do that. Um, okay. Tell me about some new books. There are new books this week. Uh, the one that I'm most excited about is one that actually I've been saving for summer. It's called Save the Date, The Occasional Mortifications of a Serial Wedding Guest. <laughs> <laughs> it's by Jen Dahl, uh, and it's a memoir. Wait, that's not just of, her Twitter handle? That's her actual name? Jen that Dahl? is her actual name. Oh, I thought Jen. that was, uh, that's so weird. Anyway, okay, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> uh, it's a memoir about going to lots and lots of weddings, kind of an always the bridesmaid, never the bride, going from... Um, uh, ceremonies of family members um, that she hadn't seen up to a a recent boyfriend's uh, nuptials, all sorts of stuff. Jen is great on Twitter. She's also doing a lot of fun things on Instagram. Yeah, she is great on Twitter. She's posting pictures that people send her of like their terrible bridesmaids dresses or horrible wedding stories from things that they attended. Um, Rachel Manwill, who is one of our contributors at Book Riot, picked Save the Date as her best read of April. So there's a great Uh, endorsement from a reader that I trust as well. It just seems like a lot of fun. And I don't know, I think Rachel said that she's going to like 14 weddings this year. Um, I've never gone to that many in one year, but definitely that time from your mid twenties to your mid thirties is filled with them. And weddings seem to always bring weird experiences. It's charged, you know, emotionally charged. People have traveled. There's a lot of alcohol. Right. Unforgettable stories. So a lot of uh, backstory with other people. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And lots of opportunity for like awkwardness and (laughs) hilarity. Um, So Save the Date by Jen Dahl. That's uh, the new release this week that I've had my eye on. And then we've got some big books in paperback. The first is You Are One of Them by Elliot Holt, uh, which was one of the biggest books of 2013. It was widely praised. And it's about uh, two girls who were friends in the 80s in the height of the Cold War. uh, And one of them seems to maybe be involved with more than she's letting on. Um, She writes a letter to a political figure in Russia. Um, I don't remember his name and I'm not looking at the synopsis Mm -hmm. right now. And, and she asks them to like, basically to stop the nuclear threat against America. And somehow this gets picked up in the story. It's fiction. Um, But she ends up, you know, like going on the press junket from the Today Show and Good Morning America and whatever, like the 1980s equivalents were. And she gets taken on a special trip to Russia and her best friend is left behind. And this is the story Mm. from the best friend's perspective as they are adults and they're they're getting back in touch with each other. And there is, you know, history and Cold War tension and friendship tension and maybe some spies and intrigue. Uh, I read it in one sitting on a flight last year. It was it was a really good read. Uh, so that is out. And then also for historical fiction, not historical fiction, for history fans, and also really good, this is like a good dad book, I think, if you're stuck, I want to get your dad, um, for Father's Day is Bunker Hill, A City, A Siege, A Revolution by Nathaniel Philbrick, mm-hmm. uh, who has written In the Heart of the Sea and Mayflower. Both of those were best-selling uh, historical nonfiction books, and it's uh, Boston in 1775, uh, occupied by British troops. And, you know, we know what happened after that, but Nathaniel Philbrick will tell mm. his own heavily researched and really smart version of the story. And so that's Bunker Hill. Cool. Those are our new books this week. New books. Well... I think that is our show. Indeed. As always, thanks to our sponsors, Audible and Squarespace, for sponsoring the show. Um, should we, 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 just, we just started something, and pay attention. We're going to talk about more. It's called The Riot Read. And we don't have time to talk about it right now, but I'm just going to tease it right now. So next week, we'll talk about it in a little more detail. Um, but something we're really excited about and we've been working hard on. Um, and you're definitely going to want to pay attention to that. As always, you can find us on Twitter at Book Riot. We both look at the Book Riot account all the time. So 
If you don't want to worry about our stupid names, you can always just do that. But if you want to follow me for some reason, which I wouldn't advise on Twitter, I'm at Reading Ape. She is a delight on Twitter, so always follow her at Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. You could review the show on iTunes if you would like. That would be a really nice thing if you wanted to do that. Rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps other people find it. Um, I don't think we've plugged in a few weeks that our friend and colleague Rita Mead has kind of a sister show to this one called Dear Book Nerd, which is a bi-weekly podcast about life, love, and literature. It's a bookish advice column. It's, it's so really great. great. She's having a, she has a new guest every week um, and had some really good ones recently. And I, I, I peeked at the upcoming guests. And it's mm. going to be a lot of fun to see that happening. A, if you have a question, it's kind of like if Lucy from the Peanuts put out her shingle for the doctor is in, but only to answer bookish questions. That's right. So, so if you have a dilemma, dearbooknerd at bookriot.com, and she might answer your question on the air. And you can find the show notes to this show at bookriot.com slash podcast. And if you want to shoot us something about whatever, shoot us an email, let us know about something cool you found or a question, a comment or a correction. Uh, podcast at bookriot.com. That's us. All right. That's it. Have a good week. Bye-bye.